Hi, this is Tokyo US brand manager Ian Harvey. I'm here with JC Schoonmaker. JC finished 26th in last year's World Championship Classic Sprint in Oberstdorf, Germany. His top World Cup results, results are 14th, 18th, and 18th. He was also 13th in World Juniors in the Classic Sprint in 2020. JC is a US Ski Team 18 member and is from Tahoe City, California, and is just 21 years old. One thing that's really cool for me about doing this interview with JC is I don't hardly know him at all. I've met him once, I've seen him on TV, I've watched every one of his World Cup starts and World Championship starts. So it's a pleasure for me to finally be able to interview JC, thanks to the NCAA for changing their rules. And it's also, a, I'm gonna be getting to know him just as you are during the interview. So thanks JC for being here and doing this with me. Yeah, of course, uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks Ian. So quick question about the name. Your, your official name is James Clinton Schoonmaker, but uh, when did you start using the name JC? Yeah, I've been called JC my whole life. Like my parents have called me that since I was young. Um, they actually named me James Clinton after my great grandfather. So yeah, I, people always ask me like, oh, do, does your mom call you James Clinton when she's mad at you or anything? But yeah, the only name I've really known is, is JC, so. Yeah, and that's cool. I wanted to ask that because on the World Cup, they, they're not hip to the JC thing. So they're saying James Clinton and, uh, and then people see that and they don't know how to, how to address you or, or cheer for you or whatever. So yeah. when you're skiing in a race and they see you on uh, TV in a World Cup, they can yell at the TV, go JC. And it's yep. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay, sweet. Um, where did you grow up and how did you start ski racing? Yeah, I grew up in Tahoe City, California, and I pretty much started ski racing because my mom was just, uh, she always got outside and was an, a big Nordic skier. Um, my dad was more of an alpine skier and backcountry, um, backcountry kind of guy. But I think my mom signed me up for like the middle school Nordic team. And that was kind of when I sort of got my, started really liking racing and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess it, it's mostly because of my mom. I mean, she was pulling me in one of those sleds when I was a little kid, um, before I could even walk, she would pull me in one of those things and take me out for Nordic ski. So, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. well, um, although you have been one of our most successful junior, uh, and senior athletes ever, you seem to have committed relatively late to being all in for Nordic ski racing and training. That's just from my perspective. Are you a proponent of being a multi-sport athlete and waiting to focus on one sport until later? What's your experience? Yeah, definitely. I think I did a lot of sports growing up, like soccer, lacrosse, I ran track and cross country, um, played a lot of pond hockey when I was younger. And I mean, it, it took me a bit to realize that Nordic was my sport. Like, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be a soccer player, go to the Olympics for soccer, stuff like that. But I, I think it really helped me because at, at the end of the day, it made me just a better athlete, I think. And um, I think it's it's definitely helpful to just know that you're into skiing and start focusing on that at a young age, because at the end of the day, that will help you with skiing. But at the same time, when you're young and you're in middle school and stuff, all that matters is that you're having fun and those sports are all going to help you in the end eventually, because they're just going to make you a better athlete. And I think, I think that's a, that's a big plus. So definitely. So I grew up playing pond hockey and also being really competitive in soccer and doing every sport mm -hmm. under the sun. I, I grew up, um, just outside of Acton Boxborough, Massachusetts. Mm. And uh, about half the 1980 Olympic team came from those two towns. Mm -hmm. Hockey is huge there. And it was, yeah. pond hockey is even huger. Any, any place with ice on it gets plowed off. And 
on any weekend, you'll find hundreds and hundreds of, of people playing pond hockey. And I would say that's probably the sport that I'm the most talented in, even more than skiing. <laughs> I absolutely love hockey. So yeah. it's cool that you said pond hockey because you're from California. And I didn't think people played hockey in California. Yeah, it's, it's not much. It was really just when I was younger. My dad had a, a group of friends and we would just go out and play pickup games and he would bring me along. And it was kind of like just a few years there where we had low winters, not much snow, but it got cold enough for the, the ponds to freeze over because it's kind of rare to get good hockey conditions in California. But I think I got kind of lucky when I was younger. We had a few really good years there where we were just playing lots of pond hockey. And now that I'm in Alaska, it's even better. They have tons of rinks up here and stuff. So, so yeah, you I still play? Hockey. You still play? Yeah. Oh yeah. Our team, our Alpine and Nordic team, like we try to go out. We just played yesterday, actually. We played as a team practice against each other. So yeah, we, we play quite a bit still. It's fun. Man, that is super cool. Uh, yeah. No worries about injury. And, uh, and also another question, uh, which team won Alpine or Nordic? Um, yeah, injuries for sure. We try to stay away from that. And yesterday we actually were mixed. So um, we weren't playing Alpine versus Nordic, but Nordic, we tied in our soccer game that we played earlier this fall against each other. But yeah, I mean, we all wear helmets and stuff like that and um, try to try to keep the injuries out of it, but try not to play too hard. No checking. <laughs> no checking and no shots above knee height or what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. No shots above knee height. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, that's that's what we used to do. And no checking. Yeah. either. You can, you can do some damage on skates, checking people. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So uh, when did you get serious about skiing? I'd say I got pretty serious about it, maybe seventh or eighth grade. Um, I guess I was probably 13 or 14 or so, right when I, I think I wanted to go to JN's my year of eighth grade and I didn't qualify. And that was when I was like, okay, I was a U14. So it was kind of tougher qualification uh, criteria. But once I didn't qualify for JN's, I was like, I, I knew that I wanted to go the next year. And that was when I really looked at Nordic skiing. And I was like, yeah, this is something I, I want to do. It, it really fired me up. But at that time, you were still playing a lot of sports. And I guess you still are because you're playing soccer and hockey still. Um, when did you did you ever or when did you narrow things down and and focus on cross country ski training and, and racing? Um, that was a pretty gradual process. I think once I got into high school, that was when I I stopped playing soccer completely because I, I started focusing more on running cross country in the fall. So at that point, it still wasn't 100 percent Nordic. I was running cross country in the fall and I played one year of lacrosse in high school also um, that was in the spring after skiing ended and I guess like once I fully became 100% skiing was when I got to college because then I wasn't running cross country in the fall didn't have lacrosse and that was when I was like all right summer fall winter spring all of it's on on Nordic skiing um, but it was really a gradual process so you went to one world junior championships is that right yep I've been to one in over Riesenthal Germany yeah over Riesenthal in Germany mm -hmm. um did you, how much did you focus on skiing? When I was in high school, I didn't, I hadn't trained. I roller skied sometimes in the summer when I was a little tyke, but the reality is I played other sports and did stuff. And the first year I said, okay, I'm going to be active and not, not like today, but still consciously trained for skiing year round. That winter, I was much, much better. Did, mm -hmm. that, did that ever happen with you or how did you make it to world juniors that year? You know, did something happen to get you there? Yeah, I think the year I had my first World Cup start and made it to World Juniors was my sophomore year of college. So that was after my first full year where my freshman year at UAA, I fully started skiing. So I got one full year and then a summer and a fall. And then that winter was kind of where I had my breakout year, I guess. And uh, 
that was where things really started coming together. And I felt like, okay, like this is, this is starting to look more real, like racing world cups and everything like that. Um, it was after the first, first full year of, of real training. I think this probably sounds crazy to other people who have been at it since they were 12, you know, kind of mm -hmm. full-time cross country ski training year round. But like mm -hmm. for me, I was a senior in high school and the summer before that year. So it was between my junior and senior year. I, I ran on a regular basis and hiked on a regular basis instead of just playing soccer or whatever. And, and then that fall, um, I was able to get exempt from fall sports. And I, I did some roller skiing and I did a bunch of double pulling for the first time. Mm -hmm. I double pulled before, but I never did it on a regular basis in the fall with some strength. And I, made, mm -hmm. I won the world junior trials by like five and a half percent that winter, you know, like well, one, one of the race yeah. by three and a half minutes. And mm -hmm. I mean, it makes a huge difference, but I'm, so it's interesting hearing those kind of stories. I figure, okay, for me, those were the old days and look mm -hmm. what everyone's doing now, but no, here you are over, uh, over Wiesenthal wasn't too long ago. And here you are in the world mm -hmm. cup and doing really well. It's amazing to me to hear that and think, okay, you know, you don't have to develop specific strength all the way through necessarily. Yeah. How is it that you're so strong? Um, I don't know, maybe genetics. I mean, I guess like, doing all those sports helped me out a lot. Like I was still weightlifting and stuff like that. Um, and in the summers I was doing like Nordic specific strength training, but um, I don't know. I'm just kind of a, like, I'm definitely one of the bigger, more powerful guys like on the world cup, I would say. Um, and I feel like part of that is just from doing these other sports, just being a, a solid athlete. So you said you've been doing, you had been doing specific strength in the summer. Obviously you've been doing that now. But when did you start doing specific strength training for cross-country skiing in the summer? I mean, so I had been doing that like all through middle school and high school because in the summer there wasn't really any team sports going on or anything like that. So I was training like Nordic training quite a bit. I was roller skiing in the summers and everything like that. And that was kind of a good, good thing to do in the summer with a summer job. And when there was no cross-country running, soccer, lacrosse, anything like that. So I was definitely Nordic training. It wasn't like a wasn't roller skiing or doing Nordic strength all these years um, that I've been, I've been doing for quite a while. So, okay. So that is a really key clarification because mm -hmm. to me, consistent strength training through, through your developmental years. And then of course, afterwards is massive for to, to, to yeah. develop a world class or an elite athlete. And so I'm glad to hear you were doing that. I wasn't, mm -hmm. but you know, that's the old days. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't think a person could get where you, where you're at without having had done that for years. So mm -hmm. that's good to hear. I'm, I'm, I, that makes more sense to me now. Yeah. So from my perspective, you improved tremendously fast from when you're maybe 17 to 19 years old. Does that, does that sound about right? You improved yeah. crazy fast. I yeah, know definitely. Mm -hmm. I that know was right when the, the year that I uh, made that jump, I think like that was freshman, sophomore year of college. So yeah, that, that sounds about right. Cool. I know you've worked a lot with Will Sweetser. So he's your club coach, uh, Tahoe City coach. You, you improved also when you went to college, but it might have also been you get more serious about it and you were, you know, you raised your level. Would you like to speak about how does working with Will? Because I know he's been a really important part of your development and maybe give anyone else some recognition to your development because you've, you've really, you know, made your mark. Yeah, definitely. I think working with Will, that was, that was right when I started working with Will also was my first couple of years of college. Um, and I would work with him in the summers when I would go home for the summer. And 
Will's an awesome coach and um, we didn't have, we haven't had like much of a team at Sugar Bowl. Uh, the first couple summers I was there working with him, um, but he's built a solid program and he's a really amazing coach. Like his eye for technique, I think was what helped me really make one that big jump. Um, just finding the tiny little things that, that can gain you a second or two along like a sprint qualifier um, in like a three minute race. And he's, he's been an awesome guy to work with. And then, I mean, really all my other coaches right now, my current college coach, Tron Flagstad and my junior coaches, Gus Johnson, Ben Grisecci, um, they all deserve definitely a lot of credit because they're all amazing coaches and have been huge help. So if um, maybe you're a little hesitant to put words in Will's mouth, but from your perspective, what are some things that Will has drilled down on or focused on that have prepared you the most to get to where you are now? Mm. I think he's, I mean, part of it is like, he's, he's really good at pulling on the reins. Cause I'm, I'm definitely, I like to train a lot and like, I want to get better. And so I'm pretty hungry to keep doing, I'll like do a speed session with him and I want to do five more speeds. He'll kind of pull on the reins and be like, all right, like we got to, keep it fairly easy so that you're ready for this next interval session um, that, and then just small things with like technique working on just mobility, like in my core and hips and stuff like that. Um, Cause he's also great in the weight room and stuff like that. He writes, writes great strength plans um, that are really effective for, for Nordic skiing, like not just putting on muscle and getting stronger, but getting stronger for Nordic skiing. Hmm. Um, that's been huge. Super. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely been a successful coach and, I'm glad he's got some good talent to work with. That's super. Definitely. Um, so you now attend UAA as well as you work with, with Will in the summer and otherwise. Have you had much opportunity to ski for them? It seems to me, since you've been to UAA in the winter, you're at World Juniors and World Cups, or then World Cups, and then World Cups and World Championships. Um, it must be a little funny. You know, you, you train with UAA in the fall, but you're gone a lot in the winter, huh? Mm-hmm, definitely. I think it's it's gotten worse, like, I think um, not necessarily worse, but I've skied more world cups recently, which is better, but uh, I do really love the college racing scene and everything like that. My first two years, I was able to, to race the college circuit quite a bit on RMISA and I went to NCAAs my first two years, but unfortunately my sophomore year got canceled halfway through. Um, And then last year was my first full year on the world cup where I really didn't get to do many college races so it's definitely tough, but Tron, my college coach, is, is really flexible and he's really helpful with kind of helping me train what I need to do for the, for the World Cup season. But he also realizes, like, I, and I also want to race college races. So it is a tough conflict. And I'm, this year, one of my goals is still to go to NCAAs because it's my senior year. Um, so I'm really hoping I can do that. It'll kind of be a tough scheduling conflict and I'll have to race pretty fast before Christmas. But it's, it's definitely, it's a balance for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of loyalty and appreciation towards Tron and the UAA team mm-hmm. and to the school for supporting you. And then you're gone a lot in the winter. So I imagine you're very motivated to kind of pay them back as best you can and, and to contribute to the team as much as you can. But at the same time, of course, you want to be in the world cup. I mean, you know, yeah. and the Olympics. So yeah, that's for a, sure. It's an interesting situation you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, tell me, tell us about, training in Alaska and training with the UAA team and the team atmosphere. Yeah. Alaska has been awesome. I mean, the training up here is unbelievable with like, we've already started. I skied twice last weekend. We went up to Hatcher's pass 
um, with that early snow that we get in the early skiing. And that's a huge benefit to training, I think, getting ready, especially for early season races on the World Cup. Um, and then all the roller skiing, running, everything's amazing up here. And doing it with with the team at UAA has been awesome. Like these guys, um, I just love this team. And they, they're they like excited to help me, even though most college races are distance races, they're excited to do like sprint workouts to help me get ready for the World Cup. Hmm. Um, and I mean, we just all work really well together. We want to see each other succeed. So like, it's an awesome team. And uh, I've really enjoyed the college racing has been some of the most fun racing and training um, I've ever done in Nordic skiing. So yeah, it's been awesome. Super. So where do you spend your training year? For example, May to November, are you in Tahoe city? You've got a great training group in Alaska and I know you've had training opportunities with Gus uh, Shoemaker also. So tell, tell me about that. Yeah, usually I'm, I'll be in Alaska for a little bit of May because school kind of gets out May and I'll kind of stay up here for a couple of weeks um, get some early season training and cause sometimes they're still skiing up at Hatcher's pass. And so it's pretty hard to pass that up. And then the past few years, I've gone back down to Tahoe to train with Will in the summer. And then usually around late August, I come back up to Alaska, uh, for the rest of the fall and winter until race season and all that travel begins. So. Cool. Um, do you try to seek out opportunities to train with other fast skiers, even if it means leaving your home base? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I just went to uh, the U.S. ski team camp in Park City um, for a couple weeks. And it's kind of tough because uh, you don't want to I didn't want to leave the, the team at UAA here because we were, we were in a great rhythm and we were working well together. But to go down there and work with Gus and Kevin and some of these other guys who are also kind of focusing on sprints and stuff like that has been pretty awesome. Um, and so I think working with them and, and even if it means leaving the home base, it's, it's a great benefit to go ski with those, those fast guys. And we can all push each, push each other pretty well. Back when I was training, I pretty much never trained with anybody who was faster than I was. I, I was mm. national champion a lot of the time and top rated mm. athlete for a while. So, you know, <laughs> but I, it was difficult to find people to train with who I couldn't leave behind in training, like in a time trial or intervals or something. And I think that was not good for me. Of course, it's always better to, to find people that can push you where you get immediate feedback when you're going hard, someone, you know, starts to put some distance on you go, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? You know, what yeah. do I, what can I change? Technically you make, you make adjustments immediately. You get that feedback immediately. And in sprinting, it seems to me that that is even far more important to get that immediate feedback and to, to kind of remember what, how fast other people ski and how hard other people train, not just yourself. And I know you got that at the ski team camp, but are you able to find that in Tahoe city and in Alaska? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at home, it's a little harder because when I am home, um, it's usually mostly Will and I working together this summer. I was actually pretty lucky to have two of my UAA teammates. They're both from Norway. They came down and uh, lived in Tahoe for the summer. One of them was living at my house and one of them was living at, Brandon or Husky, the assistant uh, Sugar Bowl coach's house. And so those guys were a huge help this summer. Um, and I mean, they're not what you would call sprinters. And I think they, they would say that themselves, but they are still, they're still pretty dang fast and they're good in speeds and stuff like that. Um, so I, I can definitely find that when I'm not at US ski team camps and stuff like that too. But it's also nice to sometimes be by yourself and then I'm able to work more closely with Will 
have like a personalized speed session maybe where it's more focused on technique. Um, Cause at this stage, I kind of know how fast I need to be moving, mm. but I mean, it's, it's always nice to mix it up with the, the U S ski team guys too. So. I'm not, I'm not, this might sound like I'm challenging what you just said, but mm. when you go to the world cup and you see Claybol ski by, or you happen to mm. be lucky enough to be in a heat with them, mm-hmm. Does that ever surprise you? Like, um, not quite. No, I mean, I still haven't skied in a heat with him, so I can't, and I haven't really like been able to watch him ski in person, like at full speed. I haven't like watched his qualifier or anything like that. But when I was in Dresden last year, um, and they do the new heat selection now, where when you qualify, you choose which heat you're going to go into and stuff like that. I purposely chose uh, a heat with Pellegrino and Sean Abal because at that stage, I hadn't really raced with any huge names quite yet um, in a World Cup heat. And so I was like, I want to see how fast these guys are, like, see if I can hang on. And I mean, they weren't crazy surprising. I was able to hang on and they had a little more juice in the end, but uh, I don't think it's it's out of reach. If I remember correctly, Shanavar kind of powered through the whole time. And as mm-hmm. usual, Pellegrino hung, hang back, hang back and had a massive yep. acceleration. And that's, yeah. that's a tricky thing with sprinting. Whereas in a distance race, you can say, okay, you know, this is pretty much the pace I need to ski at, except for mass start racing, of course, where you're looking at the last, but in sprint, it's about the acceleration big time. Yep. And yeah, definitely. to me, that's shocking sometimes. So like Claybo and Pellegrino, especially, um, their accelerations are in skate, especially are amazing. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might have a similar qualifying time, but can you match acceleration? That can be shocking as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's great. Um, so switching gears, you are by us standards, a very young world cup skier before your 21st, first birthday, you already have three individual top 20 finishes and a top 30 at the world championships, despite your very high level, what do you consider your strengths and weaknesses to be? And what are you doing specifically to improve on your weaknesses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say right now, one of my strengths is um, part of that acceleration. I think I have a great finishing speed, like a great last hundred meters. And I think that's something I've been working on too, because I, I want to make sure that that stays strong. Um, I feel like I had a couple good finishes last year where I wasn't in the right position to like win the heat, but I did still come back. So if I can move up a couple places and that's where my weakness comes in is I think I didn't ski many heats, very tactically smart or uh, mentally smart. So I think if I had been able to just be a couple places ahead, then I could have used my, my strength and my finishing power to kind of, to make it through that heat. So part of that has been just skiing with other guys, having those two UAA teammates with me this summer, kind of learning how to ski behind people a little bit better. And also I've just been, I've made it my goal this summer and fall to watch a lot more world cup film. I've just been watching quarterfinals, semis and finals of, tons of world cups watching how Claybo does it, how some of the best do it like Nortug um, and just kind of seeing, trying to figure out what they might be thinking of tactically in a heat um, to be able to basically just stay the most relaxed you can, but hang on and then, then use that finishing speed to, to power it through. So that's an interesting topic to me because it's something I always say, which makes me sound like a wisest, but it's, it's the truth. You take a person with an incredible finishing um, burst of speed like yourself and then they look like a tactical genius because you can do 
you know, you can sit in back and da da da. Yeah. And then you come ripping through as soon as the course widens and opens up or gets wider. And mm -hmm. everyone's like, man, that guy is really smart tactically. And if you don't have that ability to close fast, mm -hmm. almost no matter what you do, you're a tactical idiot. <laughs> yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? That is you don't definitely. have the tools, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's a kind of a funny thing. And it, it, it shows how important it is to develop that any way yeah. you can to develop yeah. that. Yeah. And I think part of it is like, I think it's uh, it still definitely takes some tactics because part of it is I think I was almost thinking, all right, I have to save this for the finish every race, but you, you don't have to use that, that acceleration and that finishing power in the finish. Like if you see a window, you have to jump on that window. It might be halfway through the race and then you just hang on till the end, or it could be down to the last 50, hundred meters. But yeah, you definitely have to pick and choose and see those windows. And that's, that's definitely part of what I've been working on. So when I watch sprint racing, the, the skier that I like to watch the most is Gleb, the Russian mm. skier, because he mm. doesn't have that wicked finishing sprint. He does, of course, but not, mm. to, not to the extent that, for example, Pellegrino and, and Claybo do, but he generally, you know, regularly finishes third. Mm -hmm. And yep. to me, that's really impressive because he never um, is a protagonist in a sprint. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, somehow he gets to the finish line real close to those two without he doesn't have the tools that they do. He doesn't have the, the raw ability that a Shavana does, you know, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion, but he's, yeah. he's definitely someone to really pay attention to tactically to me anyway. Yeah. What do you think of yeah. that? That's interesting. I haven't really paid too much attention to him, but I'll definitely, I'll be watching some of his clips tonight. I think. Yeah. He always sneaks in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He sneaks in there. You never, you never like see him have a burst of acceleration. He just kind of moves up and then he's, mm -hmm. and he's there, you know, it's yep. really cool to watch. Yeah. He's, yeah. the, he's the slickest sprinter that I, I can think of in that respect. Mm -hmm. Like I yeah. said, with Pellegrino, well, yeah, no duh. The guy's getting yeah. incredible acceleration. So, you know, yeah. uh, it's not that hard to figure out. Well, and he is incredibly smart tactically, but with yeah. that, to me, it's, it really shows something else. Mm -hmm. So here's a question for you. Um, kind of a developmental pipeline thing. It seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that you have developed in a manner outside of the traditional U.S. national slash super tour circuit. You got good early and fast and then have been either at college or representing the U.S. in foreign soil. You really haven't participated much in super tours or U.S. nationals. You did the one super. No, it wasn't a super. It was a fist race at Soldier Hall last year. But regardless, I mean, you, we're talking just a few times over the years. What are your thoughts regarding this? Yeah. And that's a great question with regards to my weakness, because I've thought about that quite a bit. And I, I haven't I kind of skipped the entire super tour stage i haven't really ever done a super tour outside of u.s nationals races and i think that kind of plays into why i feel like i haven't been super confident or tactically smart in world cup heats is because i just haven't skied many super tour heats um like sprint races i kind of jumped basically straight from junior national sprints up to world cup sprints and kind of skipped the the super tour stage in between so i think part of that was i wasn't able to really like practice on the super tour stage, um, build confidence skiing in those quarterfinals and slowly moving my way up. And I kind of went right to the world cup. So I'm kind of figuring it out as I go, but, um, I mean, it, yeah, I think that that's definitely a tough one because I think obviously you want to get to our, the world cup quick, but I think some, some super tour sprints would have helped me a little bit, but, uh, now I'm kind of learning it on, on, on the world cup. So it works, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Here's a question. When do you think that you had some talent 
you know, when you say, okay, this is something I'm unique, I'm, I'm quite talented at. And mm -hmm. when did you think you could probably pursue any international racing dreams that you may have had? I think when I first maybe realized that was my first JNs. Um, it was actually in Truckee, so I was on home soil. And in the last race in the mass start, I got third. And that was kind of, that was just a race that for a couple of years there, I just held on to. And I was like, I got a podium at junior nationals. It was my first JNs. I didn't do super well in the first two races there, but the last one, I, I just had a solid race and that kind of fired me up. That kept me motivated and just kept remembering that, remembering that. And uh, I just kind of held on to that pretty much. And I was like, all right, like I, I want to make it all the way. Cool. Mm -hmm. that's really cool um it's a far cry from from getting third in jn's which which i'm not belittling that that's that's a great result and where you were at you know moving up like that it's it's a huge milestone but did you have another experience racing internationally or u.s nationals but maybe even the world juniors or world cup or a, i don't know did you ever do opa cup or something like that mm. do you no ever, opa cups I, ever yeah no opa cups yeah so did you ever do a race where you thought okay because oftentimes you do that kind of a, you know, domestic race and you get pretty good. You get selected for a team in Europe and you go over there and it's like, oh crap, I got a, mm -hmm. you know, here's where the standard is now, you know? Yeah. Um, did you have an experience internationally where you thought, Hey, yeah, this is, I can do this, you know, I'm mm -hmm. surprising myself or I thought I could kind of a thing. Yeah, definitely. One that stands out there was just my first world cup um, in Dresden two yeah. years ago. So that was 2020, I think. And it was after I, I won the sprint qualifier in Houghton at U.S. Nationals um, and got the start to go to Dresden. And in my first World Cup, I really had no clue what to expect. And I ended up qualifying, um, made it through. And then I didn't make it through the quarters, but I was like, OK, like I, I qualified for heats in my first World Cup. And that gave me a lot of confidence for the, the following year when I was like on the World Cup more consistently, um, just realizing that I. I could make the heats. That was, that was definitely a big step. Did you, did you go through 21st? I, I didn't look I think up. something like that. It's 21st or 24th uh, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, Holy crap. You have a favorite race experience that you'd like to share? I think that Dresden race is like one of my favorite ones just because I really had no idea what to expect going into it. And, um, I was like, all right, I'm not going to be too nervous because I didn't really want to put too much pressure on myself. I thought this is my first World Cup. Like what happens, happens. Um, I was confident. I was like, I think I'll be able to get more of these opportunities. So I'm just going to try to learn from this and just enjoy the experience. Um, and in the back of my mind, I, I don't I can't even I didn't even know if I was going to make heats or not. I really had no idea what was going to happen. So when I did make the quarterfinal, it was just a great feeling. And uh I mean, it was just awesome being over there. First World Cup. It was a great learning experience. Um, meeting like some of those guys, Simi, I had never really met before, Sophie, Kevin, all of them. So it was pretty, it was a pretty cool experience. That's amazing. You go to a World Cup and you end up something like 21st and you haven't even met the other people on the World Cup team, but you did yeah. that well. That's that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you that I haven't prepped you for. Mm -hmm. Dresden is you've, you've raced there a number a few times, two or th three times, twice, mm -hmm. twice, and you've done quite well. Um, the snow there is different from almost anywhere else in the World Cup. Trucked mm -hmm. in, super warm environment. Hasn't been there that long. It's dirty, but especially soft. Dresden mm -hmm. is famously soft. 
do you ski? And this is, a, I'm, I'm bringing this up so people can learn from you, not just curiosity. Do you ski differently in Dresden than you would, for example, at Soldier Hollow, where it's just notably hard? And how do you ski differently? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't really think about that a whole lot. I feel like when I get there, I'm just kind of skiing. And it's not like I'm changing anything with my technique or anything like that. But I guess I would say I'm, I'm probably, it's kind of tough because it is, it is super soft there, but right underneath the slush is just a super solid ice layer. So you go around all the corners and there it's just bulletproof ice. And then you kind of get back on and it's, it's a couple inches of sludge on top of the ice. But yeah, I don't know if I'm really skiing any different because it is, it's very unique. Um, I think what I did think about when I went there was I thought about, all right, I'm just going to try to ski powerful and get as much glide out of each ski that I can. Um, so that would, I guess, be the, the biggest, the biggest change that I made. So for sure in the corners in Dresden, you got ice and ice balls buried mm -hmm. in slush. Mm -hmm. And so there's some surprises there. So, you know, you got to navigate, you have to either take a line that you hope is around them or be mm. prepared to whack something huge, get thrown off. But, but what I'm thinking about in Dresden is in the straights, there's quite a bit of soft snow. And if you're mm. skiing and it's a sprint qualifier or a sprint, so you're skiing very powerfully. If you ski too powerfully to quote unquote, mm. you can punch holes in the snow. Like mm. you can, your ski can sink six inches down, can it quite easily? If you, if you're not careful. Yeah, it, you can definitely get pretty far down there. Um, I mean, luckily your poles have a pretty solid base to push on with all that right. ice, but yeah, I feel like if you're able to, to apply that power with your poles, mostly your upper body, and then kind of ride your heel a little bit and kind of float the tip of your ski up. Um, I think that helps you kind of stay above the slush a little bit. That's what so, I was referring to. That's how I saw you skiing in Dresden. Yeah. In your first year there. Your mm -hmm. first World Cup there, you did that excellently. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because yeah. there's a lot to learn. And not always, but usually Junior Nationals has those mm -hmm. conditions in it. Yeah. Um, yep. That was in Alaska, generally in Soldier Hall in the afternoons. It wasn't in Twin Cities, yeah. where it is again this year. So I thought maybe this would be an interesting thing for people to hear and learn from you. Yeah. And I guess maybe why I wasn't super attuned to like what I did differently is just because I've skied in those types of conditions so much at home, like Truckee and and Tahoe have that have those conditions almost on a daily basis because it'll just freeze overnight and then get super slushy in the day. So I, I was pretty used to those for sure. Right. So when it gets real soft and you have a good pulling platform, you power through your upper body and you're much more gentle with your legs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and you and you try to let your your skis float more, weight your heels and and it's kind of finessing with the legs and stepping and using a lot of power in your upper body. That's where your major effort is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As compared to if you were on a real hard surface, you'd be skiing differently. You'd be using more power with your legs. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can kind of use your arms and, and legs in more unison. You can kind of get on the balls of your feet and really drive that ski out to the side exactly. um, and just get up on it. But yeah, when you're, when you're in those slushy conditions, you kind of have to sit back almost a little bit more, which feels yeah. kind of counterintuitive, but. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're trying to get the skis to float over the snow. Cause if you, yeah. if you push hard with your legs, especially on the ball of your foot, you're not just punching a hole and wasting energy, but you're also slowing the skis down dramatically. Yeah. And that's such a key point for people to understand. So what I wanted people to learn from this was simply think about your technique in different conditions, because you need to adapt your technique to the conditions as compared to just skiing the same all the time. That's a really important point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
you've been improving rapidly with last winter having him had been, in my opinion, especially a breakthrough winner for you. Would you mm -hmm. agree that last winter was a huge breakthrough for you? Yeah, definitely. I think so. So it seems to me that what you are doing is really working. <coughs> you know, kind mm -hmm. of don't change anything kind of a thing. Because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on a trajectory that's superb. Having had said that, most of the country's best male skiers are currently in Anchorage or Vermont, southern mm -hmm. Vermont even. With your ties to Alaska, have you thought about going to APU or Winter Stars? I've definitely given it a little thought. And uh, yeah, with this being my senior year and everything, I'm not exactly sure what will happen next year. Um, I, I kind of knew all along I was going to stay at UAA all four years um, and finish it out here. So I didn't think of going to APU partway through. Um, I know like Haley Swerble did that and that's worked great for her. She was on UAA, I think one or two years. Um, I kind of was planning on sticking through and, and finishing it out here. But um, as far as next year, I've definitely thought about APU and, and Winter Stars a little bit, but not not with a whole lot of a deep thought. Um, I'm kind of waiting to see how this winter pans out and then then figuring out what, what's going to happen. So you obviously got a good thing going with Will, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, home's not a bad option either. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting thing because the, the training group and getting pulled along by that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, you don't want to discount the hometown support. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yep. Home yeah. Yeah. Hometown support so, network, family, friends who who really love and want to want, wish you well. There's a lot to be said to that. So you're in an interesting situation. Yeah. That's why I wanted to yeah. ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, here's what I consider to be a really important and maybe a fun question. You're mm -hmm. a young skier and you spend a whole lot of time on the road. Last winter, what what was your, you were on the road, world cupping, et cetera, for, from when to when? I was on the road. So we left about mid-November and then I came home right before Christmas. I was home for about a month. And then uh, I think I was back on the road basically through like mid-January until I think late February. So about another month, month and a half or so. So I was, I was over there for about two and a half months, I would say. Not as long as Gus or some of, some of these yeah. other people. But. but but that's when you, when you say home, you were at Soda Hollow and other. Um, in yeah, that's true. And so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reality is when you were home, you were also traveling. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> and it was different travel with different teammates but it's still yeah. the hotels and, you know, I remember getting out of bed and running, walk into a wall once back when I was doing World Cups. And I was thinking, oh, damn it. You know, like in Germany, the bathroom was to the right, but now in France, yeah. the bathroom's to the left, you know, yeah. not where I was kind of a thing, you know, it's really easy yeah. to do. And as much as I personally love travel, I never, never got really old for me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it can really affect your, um, your, your freshness and your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my question is, um, do you have any tricks or tips on how to keep things light, fun, and fresh while at the same time focused during all that mm -hmm. travel and during a long winter? Yeah, I mean, one of the best things that helped me was just having Gus uh, there, like having good friends around you, Gus and Kevin and Simi and basically a whole team. Like they're all really good at keeping it fun, keeping it light and just having a good time. Um, and Gus and I worked really well together as roommates. Like we, we just had a blast. Um, the only other thing I can think of was I brought my Xbox over there last winter and we would play some FIFA, uh, like the soccer video game. We'd usually play that against each other every night. So that kind of kept it loose. And like, that's something to just take your mind off skiing a little bit. It's something I do at home and stuff. So it kind of reminded me of that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's really just about surrounding yourself with good people. And if you have a good team and good coaches, it's, it's going to feel, it kind of becomes your new home in a sense. So for sure. The U S ski team also does a lot of activities, I think to kind of reinforce a sense of family and belonging and group, you mm -hmm. know, to kind of reinforce that, which I think is very smart and obviously is effective. And this might be against that to a point, but one thing that I had some success with was simply learning another language. You're over there, you know, you're traveling a lot and you're around foreign language speakers all the time. And it, it's kind of, it becomes a hobby and I eventually met my future wife, eventually gained a career from it. My children are bilingual, trilingual because of it. Um, yeah. I learned German, I took a summer course and then just was kind of working on German all the time. And it was really fun. And it again, gave me more of a sense of not traveling not being away from home, but traveling. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been working on a little bit of Norwegian just because a lot of the UAA team here is Norwegian. So that's kind of helped me like kind of talk to them a little bit more. I probably helps them feel a little bit more at home, helps me. Um, and it's just kind of fun. So I've been trying to learn that, but I'm not super good at working on it every day. Got to get better. I've been learning Norwegian myself too. I'm, I'm getting there, but um, have you, what, how do you, how do you study Norwegian? What right now, I've just been using the Duolingo app. That one's pretty easy. Uh -huh. And then before that, I was just kind of asking my teammates like for different phrases every day, just trying to kind of pick up on what they say, like the most common words they're using, stuff like that. I feel like that's the easiest, just learning from another person. Have you noticed that, I don't know where your teammates are from in Norway. Mm -hmm. uh, have you noticed that they say things differently depending on where they're from? I haven't gotten quite that far yet. They're definitely, they, we have some Northern and Southerners, but I, I can't really pick up on the different dialects <laughs> quite yet. I, I, I speak a few languages and mm -hmm. I'm familiar with dialects and like uh, with German, for example, Germany has got all sorts of crazy dialects, including Swiss German, mm -hmm. but a lot of different dialects. And uh, I'm, I never had any issues with them. With Norwegian, this has been a major problem for me. I've, I understand non-native Norwegian speakers better than I understand Norwegian speakers. Because it seems like every Norwegian speaker speaks some kind of dialect, which means they don't, they might say a word differently from the way that um, a non-native Norwegian speaker would say it because they don't have a dialect. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, it's frustrating as heck. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting anyway. So uh, uh -huh. but, um, that's one of my major uh, focuses this year for me personally is um, uh -huh. I'm trying to get fluent in Norwegian. And, and that's uh -huh. something I've run into. Every time I run into native Norwegians, we start talking, I'm like, can you say it again? Can you say it again? And it ends up that the word that I'm stuck on is something super simple that, of course, I know, but they say it in a way that I'm thinking it's got to be a different word. Yeah, just very slight differences. Yeah. Or huge differences. Yeah. Like they mm -hmm. Eliminate a letter completely, like yeah. an important letter. <laughs> it makes it sound like a different word. And then I'm like, yeah. I don't know what that word is because of the context. So it's an interesting yeah. challenge, but cool that you're working on that. And I'm sure that'll be yeah. important when you're. Um, when you're traveling to kind of meet some new people and gain an understanding of the cultures where you are, different mm -hmm. cultures, you know, you have a lot of races and you have a couple of races in Norway, I guess. And uh, mm -hmm. that's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be cool. There's another aspect of that too. You've been on the world cup. You're briefly on the world cup and the next year you were on the world cup also not for a very long time and you did quite well, mm -hmm. but you're only there for a little while. And last winter, you were a couple times in the year for a longer period of time. And I'm sure it was easy to have expectations mm -hmm. where you've got these particular goals and 
you know, if you don't meet those goals, you're going to be pissed. And then, and then even, even the goals change because you get a little success and they're like, well, now I'm no longer satisfied with that. And that can take the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it might be smarter to like focus on the process, focus on what makes you fast and not focus so much on results, which especially last winter with COVID, et cetera, your results can vary a lot depending on who is there and not there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I think for me, like what worked last year, at least when I was on the World Cup more and like racing every weekend was just focusing on what I could learn from each race. So um, not focusing too much on the result or anything like that. But after each race, just kind of analyzing it and figuring out what I what I needed to improve. And then the next week working on that and trying to get it as good as possible so that I didn't really make the same mistake twice Um, and just trying to take a lesson from, from each race. I think that was definitely huge. And that's also super fun, isn't it? It's, in, it's, it's yeah. uh, cause you, you don't put any expectations in yourself. The emphasis on learning. And then you obviously learn something every time you go out, which yeah. is thrilling. Yeah. So the challenge to me is going to be at some point, you're going to be, you're going to turn in from a, a person who's, you know, hasn't been around that much, only 21 to, to a veteran. Mm-hmm. And can yeah. you continue to not put those expectations yourself and continue to learn and to focus on learning in the process. That's a hard yeah. thing to do when you become a veteran. It is. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's part of like why I love Nordic skiing is just because the whole sport is just such a process. Like hmm. you have to try to get better every single day, every single year. Um, just learning new things, working on different things, like trying to add new stuff to your arsenal every summer and try to perfect that. Um, I think I just love that. And it's, it really is. It's a fun process. Cool. That's a really important point. As far as I'm concerned, um, domestic skiers get burned out and they don't know what to focus on and they start focusing on results. You know, I'm talking like someone trying to make junior nationals, something is, you know, you don't have to be in the world cup to be struggling with this. And I think that this exact thing, this mindset is so important to keep things fun and stimulating as compared to frustrating. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's really sure. important, I think. So I'm glad we had that conversation. So yeah. you are a TOCO sponsored athlete and you have been, I probably shouldn't say that. You are a TOCO sponsored athlete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm very glad to be able to support you. Um, can you tell me, uh, do you have a favorite glove model? Yeah, right. Like right now, my favorite glove is the TOCO Thermo Race. Um, I used that one quite a bit last year. I think mostly last year was a cold winter. Like I hadn't raced so many cold races ever because we were in Falun was freezing. When I went to Vokadi for U23s, that was just freezing. Um, And that one just works really well for me in races. Like it keeps my hand warm in the race because normally when it's warmer, I would wear the Profi. Um, But last year I really loved that one because it felt good in like the pole straps and it felt like a race glove, but my hands never really got cold. So that, that was definitely my favorite last year. I really it makes love me really happy to hear that because yeah. I ask this question a lot and I rarely hear the thermal race and I'm always like, what? Cause uh, yeah. to me, that's our best glove. Like to me, that's, mm-hmm. I really like the, the new polar race a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I I'm, uh, I'm wearing the thermal race 80% of the time. If it's a cold mm-hmm. winter, I might be wearing something else, but um, yeah. Caitlin Greg said, that's, that's it. That's like, if I'm going on a trip and it's ballpark normal, that's, that's the glove I'm bringing. I might bring a few pairs yeah. of that glove. But that's yeah. what I'm wearing. And, um, and it's, it's a lightly insulated glove with a wind blocker back, again, with light insulation. 
but the palm has no insulation at all. So it gives you a race feel, super race feel, while at the same time keeping your hands warm and it's got a great feel to it. So I'm really happy to hear you say that. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, a couple of fun questions, hopefully. What is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you were 18? Mm, man. Um, I, I know 18 was only three years ago, but yeah, a lot, there's a lot of learning stacked in those three years. Yeah. Um, shoot. Um, when I was 18, I guess, I mean, um, I guess like on, this is more of a personal thing, like not even super related to skiing, but just like other people don't really care. Like, I feel like I've learned to just be myself and like, um, I don't know. When I was 18, I feel like I thought I was like the center of the, the universe a little bit more, but now I'm kind of learning, like, just be yourself. And I think that's, that's all it takes really. That's fantastic. Yeah. That, um, yeah. I mean, these aren't necessarily ski questions now. These are whatever yeah. you want to be. And yeah. That's a really important. That's great coming from you only three years later. Mm -hmm. I think that's a source of major stress for let's say kids 15 to 18 major stress thinking that everyone's looking at them like you go to yeah. school and you got a pimple or something and everyone you know they're yeah. like oh my gosh i had a, yeah. a young woman the other day say to me oh, i'm sorry i didn't want to turn my camera on it was in a zoom thing a conference thing i don't want to turn my camera because i had this pimple and i'm like if you hadn't told me i wouldn't have known you know yeah exactly yeah yeah people don't notice those things and like i was definitely when i was in high school just always thinking about that thinking about what i was wearing and everything like that but no one really notices every because everyone else is thinking the same thing at that age so they're worrying about themselves so and i do notice people but what i do notice i think this is pretty common is people's energy levels like are they are they positive are they negative are they up are they down are they you know mm -hmm. that kind of a thing like i notice that are they smiling are they bummed out like i'll notice that for sure yep but I don't notice some little, little thing like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So what is something about you that might surprise people if they were to find out? Um, that's another good one. I, hmm. I feel like I don't want to toot my own horn, but I feel like people might be surprised that I'm decent at hockey. Like, I don't want to say I'm crazy good or anything, but I, I have played a lot of hockey. So I, I like to think I'm all right. Um, that might definitely surprise some people, I guess, especially people who just look at Nordic skiers and think, oh, they don't really do ball sports or puck sports or team sports or anything like that. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I absolutely love hockey. So I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> yeah. to hear that. Especially a guy from California saying that. Yeah, yeah, that that will definitely surprise some people. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? If so, can you please tell us and explain? Yeah, I think, I mean, my mantra kind of, it's not like a quote or anything like that, but what we talked about earlier is just kind of trust the process. Just go through it, learn, um, work on yourself, work on skiing or whatever it is, work, anything like that, and just follow the process. And uh, I think, good things will happen you just kind of have to let it unfold and you can't really uh I, what I really liked actually was I saw the WNBA championships ended like a week or two ago and Candace Parker who's a really good WNBA player one of the stars MVP two-time champion and something she said that spoke to me was like you don't have to shout who you are from the rooftops like 
time will tell your story. You just have to let time tell your story and you don't have to try to tell or prove who you are. You just have to put your head down, work and, and let it all unfold. So I think that's a cool one. So do I. So as much as I like the quote, I want to visit this trusting the process thing with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. To me, and I love that, to me, trusting the process means enjoying it. It means relaxing and just focusing on work and not having the anxiety of, am I going in the wrong direction or am I, am I fast mm-hmm. enough or, you know, like, where am I at kind of a thing? It, mm-hmm. It's just putting your, kind of putting your head down and, and focusing on all the things that make you faster. Yeah, exactly. Focusing enjoying on all it. the things that make you faster and just enjoying it. Because at the end of the day, if you're not having a good time, then it's not worth your time. So yeah. Um, yeah, just, just trust it. Cool. I like what you just said also. I mean, Nordic skiing is a hard sport. You got to spend a lot of time each day, each year doing it. And also very many years, not, not just doing it for fun, but, you know, trying to pursue excellence. And if you don't like it, that's a whole lot of crappy time being spent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely should do something else or, or fix your attitude, huh? Yep, for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, I love it also, like you do. Yeah, it is a grind. I mean, there's going to be weeks and days when you're just not feeling it, like roller skiing in the rain when it's 36 degrees out in Anchorage. Like, that's not my favorite thing to do, but it it happens. And I mean, eventually you kind of learn to learn to enjoy those days, too. So. For sure. And that's uh, what I'm going to say is a little dangerous because that's when the hero workouts come out. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. in the fall when it's raining and freezing cold and and then people end up going way too hard and mm-hmm. not not doing the things that keep you healthy. And then a couple yeah. of days later, you're sick. So I don't mean that. But mm-hmm. there are some days where, you know, you kind of did things right. Not not to an extreme, but you did things right. And, you, you know, you put your dues mm-hmm. in and then come national team trials or World Cups or JNQs or whatever it is that, you know, kind of is your measuring stick you show up and you know, you've got, um, you're loaded and ready to roll, you know? Yeah, exactly. Definitely. As compared to taking the day off and eating a bunch of pie and watching TV or something, you know, like, yeah. you know, there's not, not going overboard and getting sick. I'm not talking about that, but just doing it right without mm. going extremes and, and just yep. putting your dues in even keel and, uh, yeah. and, and having a bunch of dry powder for the winter, but that's part of having, having a bunch of ammo or, or energy for the winter is, putting your dues in in the fall when you know, all year round when when a lot of people would be reluctant to do it i remember when i made the olympic team i didn't go home for christmas mm-hmm. and i um and it was kind of funny because i just thought i missed it was at a, it was a perfectly wrong time when compared to when trials happened and we actually mm-hmm. had trials where the top whatever went there were no no automatics no pre-qualifying no nothing that's how it was back then yeah. And, uh, and so I just stayed where I was, kept my environment perfect, stayed healthy, did everything right. And then I remember, uh, and I had no Christmas, basically. <laughs> I had no contact with anybody. <laughs> and then I went to trials, did great, you know, surprised everybody, but not, not myself so much. Made the team easily. And I remember um, after warming down from the last race, kind of had Christmas carols going to my head. And it was kind of my Christmas present to myself, you know? Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, kind of what you're saying. I think. Definitely. Well, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. JC, it's been great talking with you. Um, like I said, it's been fun getting to know you a bit because this is the first real conversation we've had. So that's yeah. fun. I wish you the best of luck and I'm looking forward to following your races this winter and 
and yelling JC, uh, go JC and <laughs> rooting for you. Um, so thank you very much for doing this. It's been really fun for me. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. That was a blast. And uh, we'll definitely have to do another one of these. So for sure. We'll definitely do a, a follow-up this winter, which I'll look forward awesome. to. Awesome.